Hello, and welcome to a special edition of the Salt and Light Hour. I'm Deacon Pedro. Today, we will be going into the Salt and Light archive closet and pulling out some of our favorite conversations from the fall of 2018. We begin by speaking with Father Thomas Rosica about the Synod on Youth that took place in Rome in October 2018. And we reconnect with singer-songwriter Mikey Needleman, who's been building a parish from the ground up. In our second half hour, we speak with Salt and Light producer Sebastian Gomes about his latest film, Magisterium of the People. Yep, that's a thing. And at the end of the program, we meet a new and young singer-songwriter, Ali Alia, and we listen to music from her album, The Labyrinth. Remember to visit us at saltandlighttv.org radio and to comment on what you hear or to ask any questions, look for me, Deacon Pedro, on Facebook and Twitter. We now begin with the Synod of Bishops on Youth. Last month, October 2018, bishops from around the world met in Rome to discuss how best to reach young people. The Synod is a gathering for bishops to talk about pastoral approaches. This one, I think, is safe to say, was a bit different than synods in the past. And to tell us more, earlier in the week, we spoke with Father Thomas Rosica, CEO of Salt and Light Media and executive producer of this program. He had an inside view of the Synod as he was the English language assistant for the communications office for the Synod of Bishops. Father Tom, welcome back to the Salt and Light Hour. Thank you very much. I finally get in your studio here. I was going to say, good to have you back in the country. Thank you, yes. So this is your fifth synod? That's right. I have survived five (laughs) synods of bishops over a period of 10 years. And your role has always been a communications role? In the communications role, different titles, but basically the same thing. I started in 2008 when Pope Benedict appointed me to the Synod on the Word of God and the Life and Mission of the Church. Right. Cardinal Mark Ouellette had presided over that Synod as uh-huh. the chief relator. And there I dealt with English language media. Mm-hmm. But I have to say the evolution or the revolution of synods <laughs> over the past 10 years has been quite remarkable. Yes, Under Benedict, you know, very formal, not a lot of free speech, if you will. And it was very staid, very placid. Uh, Very interesting material. But then, of course, we have the revolution of Pope Francis, who really has revived the institution of the Synod of Bishops. Mm -hmm. And so the past three synods, that is 2014, 2015, and 2018, have been incredible experiences of uh, conciliar synodality, um, real reflection of what the Synod of Bishops is supposed to be. Yeah. We hear that word synodality being used. Sometimes we hear the word collegiality. Can you explain to our, our listeners what, what is the difference? What does the word synodality refer to? Well, first of all, the word synod, synod, comes the word synodos, which means walking together. Hodos is the word for road. Synodos is on the road together in Greek. Therefore, the idea of the synod... Let me go back and and give the history of the Synod of Bishops. Yes. Because I think it's very important. Let's go back to the years 1962 to 1965. You know, very important years. The Second Second Vatican Vatican Council, Council. excitement, bishops coming together, about 2,600 some odd bishops that came together. Yeah. And they discovered each other. This is before social media, before Facebook, before a lot of travel. And they spent intense 
moments together in Rome. Mm-hmm. Now, to be clear, many people think that the bishops abandoned their diocese for three to four years and just camped out in Rome, but that was not no. the case. The synod, excuse me, the council would take place from October until December, each of those years, 62, 63, 64, 65, those four years. Uh-huh. And then they would go back home to their diocese and begin to test things out, share what was happening, and report back to Rome at the end of that. Right. So for four years. When John the Twenty Third dreamed up the council, I don't think he ever imagined how long it would last. Uh-huh. The idea of launching a Second Vatican Council was new, a, a council itself. Yeah. You know, there hadn't been a council for several hundred years. So John dies in 1963. Paul VI comes about, now St. Paul VI. Mm-hmm. And Paul continues the momentum. And under Paul's signature, we have the major documents of the Second Vatican Council, Gaudium et Spes, Lumen Gentium, Presbyterum Ordinis, and the rest of the yeah. documents. The bishops had a very powerful fraternal experience. There was an experience of the universal church, mm-hmm. of fraternity, of getting to know one another. They became friends. Yeah. And so after the council was over in 1965, a group of bishops went to Paul VI and said, we don't want to lose that momentum. We don't want to lose that dynamism. We don't want to lose that dynamic. And so Paul VI established in the year 1967 the institution of the Synod of Bishops, which, by the way, we celebrated its 50th anniversary back in 2015. Right. Yeah. So um, the institution of the Synod of Bishops means that this body, a consultative body, if, if you will, a group of advisors to the Pope will deal with some of the big pastoral questions right. around the world. You can't obviously invite all the bishops to come to Rome each time you're doing this. In fact, no. now if we were to do that, it's over 6,000 bishops. Church has grown. Right. So it's a representative group of Episcopal conferences, key parts of the world, geographic regions, members of the Curia, all of those things come mm-hmm. together, approximately 300 bishops. And over the past 50 years, now 52 years, they've talked about many different topics, Mm -hmm. justice in the world, the sacraments, the role of bishops, the role of priests, laity, the role of women. Mm -hmm. And of course, we've had this trilogy of synods now under Pope Francis's leadership, two synods on the family, which resulted in that magnificent document, Amoris Laetitia, and now the synod on young people, people, faith, and vocational discernment. So that's where we are. There's a progression. But I have to say what I've experienced uh, was a real transformation of sharing, of openness, of joy, of honesty Uh in that synod synod hall. So a true to the word synod, a walking together. People walking together. If anything, you know, there are those who would like synods to come out with dictates and rules and regulations and doctrines. That's not the purpose of a synod. No. The purpose of the synod is to help to raise the real questions and to get the whole church thinking and reflecting mm-hmm. and offering some guidelines and what we would call today in our context best practices. Right. So this the synod was on young people, the faith, and vocational discernment. What would you say were some of the main uh, ideas that were shared during the month? What Pope Francis has done is stretch out the synod so it's not just limited to one month in the uh-huh. upper room. Uh-huh. But this began a year and a half ahead of time where there was a questionnaire that was sent out. Yeah. And then there was, followed by a questionnaire, 
there were regional meetings. Mm -hmm. And because this was going to involve young people, there was a pre-synod gathering in March of 2018 in Rome where you had a sampling of young people from around the world who gathered together with the Pope, and they kind of set the agenda for what the bishops would be discussing. Because after all, it's a bishop synod. This is not a young person synod. It was a bishop synod talking about how the church can reach out and relate better to young people. Uh And so at this particular synod, if you want to talk about the fruits of it, well, Mm -hmm. first of all, it was the process, this whole collegial process. Synodality, the church was in movement. The church was not being fixed, perched on a hill, issuing responses, but it was eliciting the questions. It was a listening church. Right. The pre-synod meeting was a very historic gathering in Rome. We had a member of our own team there, Emily Callan, represented the Canadian bishops. Yes. And then following that, the working document, of course, it's got to have a Latin title, be official, the Instrumentum Laboris, which is not a pasta dish. (laughs) The Instrumentum Laboris contained much of what the the youth document produced in March, but it raised some bigger topics and questions, and it's not a finished document. It is meant to be taken apart. In fact, it's meant to die and become something else, and that's what we saw happen. And then the Synod itself, I think one of the unique moments was the fact that the Pope appointed 35, I believe, young adults from around the world who, for me, were the real source of inspiration, the Mm -hmm. light, the joy, the Mm -hmm. newness of this recent synod. Yes, those auditors. And Emily, who is on this program every week, our listeners are very familiar with her. She's been telling us the the progress of her work and participation in that as as a young auditor. the the final document, and we know, and the Pope said this is not about documents or producing documents, but there are the document get, does tell us a little bit of the things that were being spoken about, youth and culture, um, youth wanting to be protagonists, opportunities. We don't have a lot of time, but maybe if you can tell us a little bit about one of these, what would you say of these four points, which, which would be the most uh, important for you? One of the things that emerged, I think, was very important, that when we talk about the church's presence to young people, it's not the church doing something for young people, but it's working with, walking with, and learning from each other. And what was very beautiful was to hear many bishops and cardinals, curial heads, and some of the experts speak about how much they have learned from journeying with young people. And what's required is a mutual listening that we have something, we church leaders, priests, missionaries, whatever, we have something to learn from young people, and also they have something to learn from us. The art of mentoring is present and necessary. We heard about the struggles, the many forces that are against young people, that are taking them away. We heard about unwelcoming churches, and how do we foster, Mm -hmm. create? How do we Mm -hmm. go about creating open communities, welcome communities to bring young people closer to Christ? Right. Um, There were many, many thoughts. We heard about the challenges of social media, Mm -hmm. of social networking and whatever, who many people, many people believe that this is the solution, the panacea and everything. We heard about the risks that when it's not used properly, it causes greater alienation and loneliness. Mm -hmm. We heard about young people who are dying for their faith, the, the wave of young martyrs. And it's, it was sobering, shocking, very moving to hear these stories of some of the young people, the young delegates, speaking about their contemporaries. The one young man from Iraq, 26-year-old dentist, right. moved everyone to tears. He said he went to church one Sunday, and when they were leaving church in Iraq, in Mosul or whatever city it was, 
see you next week, he told their friends. He says, there was no next week Mm -hmm. because the church was blown up and all my friends died. The priest was killed and later on the bishop was murdered. And this is story. These are stories not from the early church. These are happening now. Mm -hmm. So we heard many, many stories that despite the evil, despite the terror, despite the violence, the faith is very strong. Mm -hmm. So there were many, many wonderful and also some wonderful humorous moments. I mean, the, the clapping and the cheering coming from the young people's gallery, uh, the Pope, you know, being taken by all of this. The Pope went up one day to see where they were sitting, and one of the young people said, why don't you have a seat up here exactly. with us? And yes, he said, wouldn't I that be that. nice? You know, yes. Magadi, wouldn't that be nice? Yeah, exactly. Anyway, we're going to have to leave it there, Father Tom. Thank you so much. I'm, I'm sure that we're going to be unpacking a lot of the fruits from this synod for many years. We're still waiting for that document to be translated to English, but I'm sure we'll have it available on, on our website. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Thank you so much for what you do, and... and uh, for helping us understand the church a little better. Thank you. That was a conversation with Father Thomas Rosica, CEO of Salt and Light Catholic Media Foundation. He spent the month of October 2018 at the Synod of Bishops, acting as the English language assistant for the communications office. For more information about the Synod and to watch all our programs related to the Synod, visit our website, saltandlighttv.org synod. Here now is our featured Artist of the Week, Mikey Needleman with Starlight from his album, Your Ways. Never that world you live in Take away what you've been given This world is yours and they can't take it away Listen to these words I'm saying This crazy life is yours for the taking Don't you get yourself down there Starlight, star bright First song I sing tonight Come what may, come what might Sing until the morning light Listen up, don't forget it This jealous world you try to contain it Do what you can't be to sustain it Don't you worry what they say It's not theirs anyway
That was Mikey Needleman with Starlight from his album Your Ways. Now, Mikey Needleman has been on this program three times, so you should already be acquainted with him. Last year, he spoke to us about his latest liturgical album, We Ask of You. This past year, Mikey has been busy helping build a parish from the ground up. He's also passionate about liturgy, and so he's going to be offering us some liturgical tidbits. So I'm looking forward to that. So uh, it's great to have Mikey Needleman. Welcome, Mikey, back in the Salt and Light Hour. Thank you, Deacon Pedro. It's so good to be here. And you know what? I mean, I, you're, you, you've always been so uh, uh, outspoken about the fact that you're a liturgical musician, you're passionate about liturgy, and uh, we just finished speaking with Ken Canedo about how the little bit of the history of that liturgical music um, that I'm sure you grew up with as well as I did, you know, in the 70s and 80s. Mm-hmm. So I wanted to, first question I wanted to ask you is if all those musicians or those composers, you know, the, the St. Louis Jesuits or... Uh, uh, Michael Jonkas, David Haas, Marty Haugen, um, even John Michael Talbot. Were any of them significant to you in, or that you can look back at the stuff that they were writing that might have influenced who you are today? Absolutely. I think, you know, the the Marty Haugen stuff, I, you know, it, it's hard to kind of go anywhere and not hear yeah, I know, like right? that even today. Yeah, massive creation. Um, yeah, I know. Yeah, and that's kind of my go-to yeah. anyways if I'm, if I'm leading... <laughs> Uh, somewhere where um, maybe I haven't led or, or, you know, it's it's at a parish that I've never been at or something like that. I always usually choose that one because I feel like it's just, it's kind of in the fabric of um, of, of Catholic music. So Yeah, and um, you know people are going to yeah. know it. Yeah, people are going to be able to, yeah, to sing totally. it because they know it. And yeah. even, if, even if it's like a wedding where maybe there's some fallen away Catholics or people who haven't been to church in a while, like, even the, the revised words, um, it's still a familiar tune and, and yeah. um, it makes them feel feel at home so definitely uh marty hagen but um you know i actually had the pleasure of, of meeting david hass like uh-huh. uh re- like uh, a couple uh yes uh, years ago and that yeah. was kind of cool i didn't know who he was you know you kind of don't know the people's name like faces with the names and then, yeah you know, and then I, he's I, like i wrote blessed are they yeah i know yeah yeah <laughs> exactly That's so funny. uh so that was kind of cool um and yeah but you're exactly right i think uh growing up i mean those are the those are the songs that you sang yeah, you absolutely. Know, every, every I know, eh? Wow. And and today, like you said, people are still singing them, you know? Yeah. Like, you know, there might be all this great new stuff, all the new great liturgical music by Mikey Needleman, and people still go to <laughs> Be Not Afraid, and here I am, Lord. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I think, uh, honestly, I was at Mass this morning, and um, yeah, they sang, uh, they sang You Are Mine, and I was right. like, yeah, yeah. You know? so, yeah. Right out of the hymnal, just like, just like it's been since I was going to, you know, Mass at his age, too, you know? Yeah, there you go, David Haas, classic. You are mine. Yeah. Um, you are in a new parish um, yes. that doesn't even have a building yet. What's that like? <laughs> oh man, it's it's yeah. We are a we are quite literally a garage startup. <laughs> Do you have like a sound? Uh, there's no sound system, like <laughs> or a crappy. Oh man, well let me let me just start with the beginning. So, so we uh, so this pastor's name is Pastor uh, Andrew Strobel. He's I had worked with him in different parishes before, but he was always just the kind of associate pastor. And when he was named the founding pastor of this unknown, you know, no, non-named church, I, I texted him immediately and said, I, you know, I want it and I want to do this. What a, you know, uh, awesome gift to start a parish, to start a church, uh, to build something where, you know, we hear about so many different church consolidations hmm. and yeah, yeah, downsizing. Yeah. And uh, what an awesome way. And, you know, uh, Personally, you know, there's been a lot of uh, struggle 
uh, with me being, you know, a, a Catholic artist about, you know, kind of um, fighting culture. And um, uh-huh. I was like, man, I, I really want to just develop culture. I want to develop a, a culture of evangelization, to develop a culture of, of singing, of worship, of, of, you know, dynamic praise, all that kind of stuff. So that was also very alluring. So, um, so I got hired on uh, as the director of worship and the director of evangelization and, you know, very uh, vague uh, job titles because, of, you know, we have to kind of do everything yeah. um, when you're starting something up. There's not, I can't just say, well, I'm only going to do this. It's like, yes, I'm going to do whatever needs not. to be done. So, um, so we, uh, the rector, the, the, uh, we, we have a rectory that the priest stays at and that rectory used to be a model home. So the, uh-huh. uh, the garage is finished. So that's where our offices are. Right. So I'm not lying when we say we are a garage startup, like that my office is... is in a garage. Wow. Um, along with, you know, we have eight people on staff, including the pastor, and we are all uh, in that garage. You know, uh, it's a three-car garage. It's a large garage, but we're all there. In wow. Making this thing happen. And okay, so so back up for a second, because you wanted yeah. you wanted to go and work in some parish that didn't even have a building yet. Were, were you absolutely? Were you not in a parish already, or like how? At that <laughs> point, I had been removed from parish life for about a year. Okay. Um, okay. Yeah, God had, had had been giving me plenty of opportunities to like um, kind of serve uh, freelance. Yeah. Um, I had been working in different parishes, uh, you know, for for. Okay. You know, the past ten years or so. And so the time was right. Was like, like I was just the timing. Yeah. Was right. Yeah. Did you? I was just feeling. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry. So but, is it is it is it a, a new development like a new area? Is it a new community or are there parishes closing somewhere else that they're kind of bringing all to this area? Like why? It's is, definitely suburban, yeah. uh, kind of almost rural, um, and it's just that urban sprawl. Right. Uh, that there's a lot of development going in that area. The yeah. neighboring parish. Uh, was about uh, four thousand families. Okay. Um, so it was it was needed. You know, there was just so many people going out in that area mm-hmm. that we needed to. The archdiocese said, "Hey, this is where we need to to put a church." Um, unfortunately, yeah, just like many dioceses in yeah. our urban areas and stuff like that, we were we are you know currently consolidating. Well, yeah, I know. Yeah, because in the archdiocese of Toronto, for example, a lot of the parishes in the downtown area might be closing or being amalgamated. But if you go into the mm-hmm. urban, you know, they're building, they're actually building a new church building a year, one a year. So that's how much wow. is growing outside of the city, but it's a huge archdiocese. Sure. Um, I can imagine yeah. that there, there, there are challenges that come with, with this, but I can also think of, of the blessings, which is probably why you wanted to be involved. Tell me a little bit about those yeah. blessings that this new community coming together, families starting something new in a school gym. Sure. <laughs> yeah, so um, it is. It, um, everybody kind of has this pioneer spirit about it. Yeah, you know, we were very clear uh, that if you, you know, if you're in the new boundaries, we drew new boundaries. The, the diocese said, if you want to stay inside your, you know, other parish, you you can. Yeah, uh, we just need to make sure everybody's accounted for. Or if you're outside those boundaries, but you want to be part of this new parish, you can do that as well. We want to be. Uh, open to you know having people where where they they feel they're they're being called to. Yeah. Um, that being said, I think we really got a lot of people with a pioneer spirit who said, you know, I'm going to give up a uh, a sanctuary uh, with all the comforts of a normal church experience, and I'm going to go to mass in a gym. And the thing is, is we have a grade school about walking distance from our rectory yeah. that um, we have, it's a public grade school that we have 
we, we basically have to host all of our Sunday uh, masses uh-huh. at, um, and we have to set up uh, chairs. Every um, we week. To, yeah, we have to bring in our own sound system, which was a whole thing. We had <sighs> to uh, get a mo like kind of, a, I put together like a mobile sound rig, and we have an AV team that yeah, yeah, Saturday yeah. afternoon wow. goes to the rectory, wow. loads up, brings it over, yeah. sets it all up. Wow. Um, you know, everything from the ample mics to the, the Deacon's, uh, yeah. you know. Everything, uh, all the vestments, everything, yeah. Everything, yeah. Wow. So we are a mobile mobile church at this point. Everything has to be able to be picked up and taken somewhere. And uh, um, But I presume but, you're, you're building a proper church building at some somewhere. Correct. Where, yeah, okay, we're so that's happening. architects. Oh, you haven't even started building stuff. yet. Correct. We wow. are hoping to have a capital campaign ready to submit in January. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then rules for our diocese is we have to have 50% of that capital raised before we can break ground. Um, but I think that there's a lot of uh, uncomfortableness. Uh, there's a lot of things that happen uh, because we don't have our own church building that the parish actually experiences and they, they feel that. And I think it makes everybody just that much more hungry. Yeah. To, I can see that. To yeah. Start building i can see that um, but even even just yeah. e- even just i think just hungrier to just kind of participate more fully not just in the parish life but also in liturgy i can imagine like people are are that much more committed because it's their parish you know what i mean um, well yeah and you know for about three months or so we didn't even have a name oh, we wow. were the we were the new uh <laughs> johnson county parish that was our that That's was our like funny. name our bank account was in that everything was just new johnson county parish That's our facebook everything and then um you know we we did the kind of a poll where we uh asked the parish to submit what they think our name should be we had all kinds of great names and beautiful names beautiful saints beautiful you know devotions yeah. um, that were that came in and um we submitted uh the top Six to uh, our Archbishop Nauman, and uh, he gave us the name Saint John Paul II. Oh, nice! Uh, which was which was beautiful, which was awesome. I mean, we're we're one of the very first Saint John Paul II churches, and you know, yeah. in, in the world, you know, um, more and more are probably opening. But it's really cool to know that we're uh, we're our, our patron saint is is Saint John Paul II. That's wonderful. Yes. Mikey, so good to talk to you. Um, congratulations on St. John Paul II Parish and, uh, and all, the wor- all you're doing, and I look forward to some more good music from you in the future, okay? Absolutely. Thank you, Deacon Pedro. There you go. That was Mikey Needleman. You can learn more about him and his band, purchase their music, and uh, book them for your next event at their website, mnband.com. Here now is Mikey Needleman with Healing in the Waters from his album, We Ask of You. This world sees so much pain Heaven seems far away We can be so afraid To let him take our shame Faith in his mercy
listening to the Mikey Needleman Band with Healing in the Waters from their album We Ask of You. This is a special edition of the Salt and Light Hour. I'm Deacon Pedro. Check out our website at saltandlighttv.org slash radio. Hello and welcome to the Salt and Light Hour Part 2. I'm Deacon Pedro. I'm hoping that most of you know what the word magisterium means, and that you have heard about the magisterium of the church. But I bet that you've never heard of the magisterium of the people. Sounds like a heresy, right? Well, joining me now to uh, set us straight uh, is Salt and Light TV producer Sebastian Gomes, um, and also to tell us about his latest project of that name, the Magisterium <laughs> of the right. People. Sebastian, welcome. Welcome back. Thanks very much, Deacon Pedro. Always good to be with you. So Magisterium of the People, really, that's a thing? That is a thing. That's a uh, thing. You know, we chose the title of the film to be intentionally a bit provocative, but yeah. if we think about what magisterium means, it's mm-hmm. traditionally associated with the teaching authority of the Catholic Church. Right. So we have, you know, revelation, the things that God has shown us in yeah. history. We also have this long tradition and body of teachings that, mm-hmm. the, that the church gives us to help us live our lives and to help us be impactful in society. Uh, the magisterium of the people is is something else. It means giving authority to the people with the least. So if you think about Jesus and the Gospels is always associated with the very poor, the outcasts, mm-hmm. the people who were rejected by society. What if those people have something to say to us as well today? And right. so our story, which is situated in the Appalachian region of the United States, you know, that mountain, yes. famous mountainous region that goes from, you know, southern New York all yes. the way down to Tennessee. Yes. John Denver saying about it. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> um, so the Appalachian region, as, as many of us will know, if we follow the news and everything, mm-hmm. uh, historically has been for generations uh, coal country. Yeah. So the people who have lived in the mountains have mined coal and provided power for, for the greater part of the United States for generations. Uh, but with that coal mining, as it's expanded, and then in recent years, as clean energy is, has started to take off, and, mm-hmm. and we've been more concerned about creation, yeah. that industry has, has, has started to fade. So there's yeah. a lot of unemployment because of that industry collapsing. Uh, and at the same time, there's been a lot of environmental degradation. So our movie focuses on a little group called the Catholic Committee of Appalachia, uh-huh. who since 1970 has been working to keep those two really important things in balance, care for creation and care for the poor, giving a voice to the poor, the people who are powerless, the people like the miners or the people who have, you know, their wells have been poisoned because of a a mine runoff or something like that. You know, the people who typically don't have a voice, they want to give them a voice. So 
the story, the, the film is about how they wrote a, a very prophetic pastoral letter in 2015 that tried to give a voice to all those people who are typically voiceless in, in Appalachia. Right. And so we call it the magisterium of the people because, because they, they have authority in their life experience of suffering and of, of, of living in difficult situations. Okay, so I have the pastoral, this is the pastoral letter that's right here in front of me. The telling takes us home, taking our place in the stories that shape us. A people's pastoral from the Catholic Committee of Appalachia. Appalachia. Um, it's a, can the people just write a letter and call it a pastor? <laughs> was the bishop, so w- was there an issue there with, I don't want to give too much away because I want people to watch no, the it's, film. No, but, but good but question. how did that come, yep. how does that happen? It's very important uh, because we're dealing with, uh, people don't tend to always use the word magisterium or pastoral letter no. in their day-to-day life, no. so it's important to clarify those I wrote those a pastoral things. letter yeah. this morning and nobody who cares. <laughs> nobody read it. <laughs> Uh, yeah, so the, the history of this group goes back to 1970, and in uh-huh. 1975, they wrote together with the bishops of Appalachia an amazing pastoral letter called This Land is Home to Me, uh-huh. where they really named what was going on with the big coal companies exploiting a lot of the workers, the miners, you know, destroying the mountains, right. poisoning the water, so all this the stuff. people with the bishops. The people with the bishops. The and bishops. then in 1995, there was, on the 20th anniversary of that first one, they wrote another one, okay. again with the bishops of the region. Uh-huh. By 2015, which is the 40th anniversary, uh, the CCA, this group, was not very confident that the bishops would want to sign another hmm. prophetic document, a pastoral letter like this. Okay, And that's because in many ways, just the, di- the dynamics of the church in the United States over the last 20 years has shifted the priorities of the bishops to some extent. Uh-huh. And they were no, not really in line with groups like this Catholic Committee of Appalachia anymore. But the, the amazing part of the story is they, they decided, 2015, let's just go ahead and write a people's pastoral letter knowing that the, the people who are suffering the most have this mm-hmm. kind of inherent authority because Jesus is always at the side of the poor, the right. preferential option for the poor. Uh-huh. And they also gave a voice to creation, to the devastated mountains, to the devastated rivers, to the, you know, so it's, uh, and then there's a happy ending at the end that a bishop is, was appointed in 2015, uh, Bishop John Stowe in Lexington, Kentucky, who right. when he heard about what they were doing, uh, was thrilled and and it really encouraged them to keep going and so it's it's a very hopeful story as well. Okay, good. It's also so it's a story about about the environment. It's a story about the poverty, the people. It's also a story about women. Tell me about that. In yeah. A sense. So uh, interestingly, after the Second Vatican Council, a lot of the the people who uh, began to do really grassroots ministry in terms of helping people with like drug addiction, addictions or health problems or were unemployed or whatever, mm-hmm. were women religious. Mm-hmm. You know, and there's, uh, there's a lot of women religious in the United States. Uh, a number of them were involved right from the beginning with the Catholic Committee of Appalachia. Uh, and some of those uh, women are still around and they're actually in our film explaining like what was the initial impulse and what were they been trying to do. And and with this particular story, the women religious were instrumental in uh-huh. in kind of carrying on the mission of CCA over the last, you know, uh, 50 years, 40 years. Um, and they, they really put a high priority on listening. Mm-hmm. It's not so much about, you know, what do I as a woman religious have to tell you, person who lives in the mountains of Appalachia? It's more, what do you, a person in the mountains of Appalachia, have to say to me, and how in my listening can I help minister to you better? Right. And so their witness through the history of this organization, and it's found in the pastoral letter as well, is very uh, apparent and encouraging. That's wonderful. So um, how did you stumble upon this story? 
while we were looking, I mean, this is a, a separate from film from the Francis Impact, which we've I'm also working about, yes, on, and we've yeah. talked about that on the radio show, which is coming out in early yes. 2019. Um, but when I was doing research for the Francis Impact, uh, I came across this story, and one of the things that really struck me about it, just doing research about, you know, how can, why, wh- wh- what are people saying about what Francis's impact has been on them? Yeah. And certainly the publication of Laudato Si, Francis's famous encyclical in 2015 on care for creation, was instrumental for them in, in, in encouraging them to do their work and encouraging them to care for creation in the way that they were. It was an right. affirmation. Yeah. And I felt that there's a lot of groups in the church, in the Catholic church today, who have felt a little bit marginalized from the institutional church over the last 20, 30 years, mm-hmm. who with the arrival of Francis have really felt vindicated in their, in their, in their ministry. Mm-hmm. And that's an amazing thing. I mean, th- there's so many people who not only belong to the Catholic Committee of Appalachia, but all kinds of other organizations in the church who have been trying to like really give a voice to the mm-hmm. poorest people, to stand in solidarity with the poorest people, to protect the environment. And sometimes they've been marginalized from the institution as, you know, those people are a little bit nuts, little mm-hmm. kind of tree huggers, yeah, that kind yeah, of thing. Yeah. And Francis, as Francis does, because this is one of his key uh, themes, he brings the periphery to the center. He thinks that the church, the church can only be true to itself if at the heart of where we're making decisions, all the people who live on the margins are in that center making the decisions with us. Right. All those people who have no voice typically in the world are given a voice in the church. And so it's a perfect kind of uh, Francis impact story, right. so to speak, uh, even though the publication of the document is kind of the main, the yeah, main narrative here. Which also gives, I guess, meaning. Or it, 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 allows us, it allows this idea of the magisterium of the people to actually make sense, that when we bring those people that, that are in the peripheries to the center and give them a voice... And of course, they they are the magisterium because they are the body of Christ. That's right. We're um, all one body, yeah, right? Yeah, but I think yeah. especially at this particular moment in time, knowing what's going on in the church, some of the big uh, crises that the church is facing, yeah. the example of a group of lay people with women yeah. religious and Wonderful. some priests on yeah. the ground to say, yeah. okay, bishops, if you won't do this, we still think that these poor Absolutely. people have a voice yeah. and we want to yeah. we share that. It is. It's and it's a, a great story. lesson because we need more laity. <laughs> empowered, get to get on the empowered ice. Empowered lady. Yeah, empowered start, lady. Yeah, empowered, absolutely. Empowering the body of Christ. That's what this film is about. Amen. Good. So thank you so much. Thank you for making it. Looking forward to watching the completed version. Thank you very much. Sebastian Gomes. He's a producer at Salt and Light TV. He's the writer, producer, and director of The Francis Effect and the soon-to-be-released The Francis Impact. His latest film, Magisterium of the People, will premiere on Salt and Light Television on Christmas Day, December 25th at 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific. For those outside our broadcasting area, you can still watch it. You can stream all our programs live at saltandlighttv.org slash live. And check out saltandlighttv.org slash magisterium to find out more about the film and for more broadcast times. Here now is our featured Artist of the Week, Ali Aliya, with You Are, from her album Jealous Love. Is this the great I am, King of Kings, the one who's come to set the captives free? How can one so small accomplish all these things? And yet you have enraptured me, you've enraptured me. 
That was Ali Aliyah with You Are from her album Jealous Love. Ali Aliyah calls herself a Catholic singer-songwriter, worship leader, and traveling catechist and speaker from a small town in Wisconsin. She's a graduate from Franciscan University in Steubenville and worked for Father Mike Schmitz for two years in, in Duluth, Minnesota, where she still lives. In 2015, she released her first EP, Jealous Love, and about a year later, she released her album, The Labyrinth. And to tell us more, I'm very happy to welcome Ali Aliyah to the Salt and Light Hour. Ali, welcome to the program. Thank you. Thanks so much for having me. Okay, did I say Duluth right? Duluth. Yes, you did. Duluth, yeah. Minnesota. <laughs> uh, yes, one day, one day I'm going to have to go there just so that I can uh, uh, not feel bad about saying that town name. Um, <laughs> you grew up... Um, you grew up in, no, you didn't grow up in Minnesota. You grew up in Wisconsin, right? Or in a small yes, town. Yes, that's correct. And what, small what was... Small town called Rice Lake. So what was it like growing up? You know, was it a Catholic uh, family? It was great. Yeah? Yeah, yeah. Um, small town, so a lot of charm. Um, yeah. We, we have, um, the, I always like to tell people that there's this bright yellow pawn shop with a giant, like, gorilla on the top. Oh, I love it. And... I remember when they were building that, it was just hysterical. They had this tarp over it, and it was like this huge unveiling. Like, what's it going to be? And it's a gorilla. Just <laughs> a giant gorilla. <laughs> oh, that's hilarious. So did, was your family uh, Catholic? Did you grow up in a Catholic family? Yes, yeah. So I'm a cradle Catholic. Yep. I uh, went to Catholic school growing up. Yeah, um, yeah the, the whole nine yards. We went to, to Mass every Sunday, yeah. and um, it's really great because um, it's one of those things where my parents, they they really instilled in us at a young age the importance of going to mass every every week. Okay. And um, as we were doing that, um, my I think my parents were even growing deeper in their own faith, which mm-hmm. ignited our whole family, which mm-hmm. was awesome. And is it a big family? Lots of brothers and sisters. I'm the oldest of three girls. Oh wow! Mm-hmm. Three girls. Yeah. That's great. Mm-hmm. And and was it a musical household? Yes, totally. It's actually really funny because my cousin Lauren, she's my roommate now. Okay. Uh, sometimes we'll like the three of us girls plus my cousin Lauren will be like going grocery shopping or something, and like I'll just break out in three part harmony, and Lauren's oh, like, "That's, that's not normal," <laughs> but it is for us. That's great. So you had to like take music lessons when you were little. Well, you know what's it's funny. My sister, the middle sister Jessica, she was the one that was always like pursuing music. As the most um she she took piano lessons and voice lessons and all that stuff but i was more shy about it um i loved to sing but i didn't really share my gifts in front of people right. really until later on uh-huh. um so yeah i didn't have any real background in music until like high school i started um taking like the choir class you know okay um but that was still easy to blend in <laughs> <laughs> yeah right hide um do you yeah. do you play any musical instruments you play guitar, don't um, you? No. Yeah, so yes. I, I play guitar and banjo, and I dabble with some other things. But okay. I didn't start those things until I picked up my first guitar in middle school. Uh-huh. But um, and I took lessons for a little bit, but then I got more involved in horseback riding. Um, <laughs> okay. So I kind of let music fall to the side a little bit, and then in high school, I, I picked it up again and started uh, okay. teaching myself a little bit more and right. kind of lessons here and there. Yeah. I like horses. Horses are good. Yeah, they're fun. <laughs> horses are great. Um, when did you start writing music, writing songs? You know, I can I can remember 
writing songs from the time I, I don't know, like my oldest memories are from me, like as a little kid in my mm. room trying to write songs. Oh, that's great. They weren't very good. <laughs> <laughs> and I didn't have any music background, like I said. So yeah. it was just kind of like um, me making stuff up and then trying to remember how it went. Um, yeah. But but that has kind of always been a part of me. And now, I mean, you went to, to uh, Steubenville, but you didn't study music. Um, so Correct. when yeah. did you, how did this whole, because you're now full-time musical evangelist you're, you're like you're doing this full time how did that mm-hmm. when did that transition happen were you, were you thinking already of doing that before you went to uh, university or did it happen no uh, tell me no. a bit about that yeah so this is it, it's been kind of a crazy crazy ride that the lord has taken me on yeah um, so i never expected to do music with my life um i remember in high school like even just getting up in front of people would i would like my palms would get sweaty, my face would turn red, my breathing would be all like really? horrible. And I, I remember thinking, I will never get out on a stage in front of anybody. So wow. <laughs> why do I have to take these classes, right? Yeah. But um, God had a sense of humor because when I was in college, he started uh, providing opportunities for me to play music in front of people uh-huh. at like coffee house type performances, really mm-hmm. casual and fun things. Mm-hmm. And I started get, getting more comfortable with that. Um, so eventually I got to a point where I shared my original music that I'd written, which yeah. had gotten a lot better in college than I did when I was a little kid. Yeah. Um, and it was really well received. Uh, and that just kind of opened a lot of doors where the Lord pointed me in the direction of recording my first album as, as a senior in mm-hmm. high school or in college. In I mean. college. And then, um, yeah. And then moving to Duluth where I met my band and recording my full album but were you and thinking, then, sorry, were you thinking of going into like kind of ministry work? Yeah, yeah. You, you so I was planning on being yeah. a youth minister. A youth minister, um, okay. Yeah, you just I've, I've yeah. always been in love with the idea of ministry and, and just like working with youth. And right. It's awesome. So that was the plan. So when... Um, when and I still did. Yeah. So Yeah, and I guess music kind of feeds into that um, nicely. When When you write a song now, what is your hope? Are you thinking uh, this song is, is to help me evangelize or this is just to help people pray? What What's your hope with your music? Yeah, well, it kind of depends on the song and where I'm at when I'm writing it. But for the most part, I'd say that the general theme is, yeah, I, I do think about my listeners now. Um, before it was more just like writing from my heart, which it still is. But now it's kind of at the place where it's like, Lord, what do you want to tell the people that I'm able to reach with my music? Right. Um, because my music is, I think it's a little bit different than normal contemporary Christian music. It, I kind of categorize it as like folk Americana and not yeah. necessarily Christian music. Yes. But definitely the Christian themes come out of my heart, right? And so come into my music. And and I've, I've seen this already, but my continued hope for it is that like a person who will never step Foot, like would never want to step foot in a church can hear my music and and encounter God through it yeah and hopefully yeah. that would bring them a little closer to mm-hmm. you know opening up their heart to him and, and letting him guide their life and yeah and bringing them to church eventually but yeah yeah no and that, I think it I think it does that but I'm not someone who's Thank not you. stepping into a church so I don't know how that would but I, but I I, uh, I certainly like that that I can listen to your music and 
it can lead me to pray if that's kind of where I'm at, but it doesn't necessarily mm-hmm. have to. It's just good music and there's interesting lyrics that might make me think about something. Um, um, you, you're not working... Well, you are... Sorry, I was going to say you're not working for Father Mike Schmitz anymore, but you do continue doing some work with him or collaborating with mm-hmm. him, correct? Um, yes, yeah. So I uh, I do a lot of music for their the Newman Center Masses, where he's the chaplain here at uh, Duluth at the University of Minnesota. Of Minnesota, yeah. Yeah, and then um, a lot of retreat music, okay. or like we have a youth camp for the diocese every summer that I do music at as well. So right. I have a lot of opportunities to continue to work with him and, and under his awesome direction. Oh, which good. Is great. Was, that's good. I was going to ask you, how is it working with him? But you just said awesome, so... Um, yeah, <laughs> yeah. He's, no, he's he's amazing. It's, he's a good guy. Um, yes. Really incredible to be able to learn yeah. from him. And he's taking you to the Holy Land. You guys are going to the Holy Land together. Tell me about that. Yeah, yeah. So this will be my third trip, I believe. Uh huh. Yes, fourth. Oh my gosh. Hang on. <laughs> sorry. So this will be. Out, which is, uh, no, that's good. You're, so this is going to be your next uh, third or fourth trip to the Holy Land with Father Mike Schmidt. Mm-hmm. Yes, awesome. and Jeff Cavan. And Jeff yeah. Cavins. Oh, it's so oh wow. Okay, so then tell me about that trip because you want to invite our listeners that, to tell them that they can join in. Yes, yeah. So um, I went my first time to Israel through this. Um, Jeff Cavins is in charge of it. He puts on these um, these pilgrimages. Yeah. And Father Mike is the chaplain for it. Yeah. Um, and I went for the first time my freshman year of college, and the Lord rocked my world with just how amazing, like having the scriptures broken open yes. to me. Uh, in a whole new way that just made it come alive, you know? Yeah. Um, and I really believe that it's at that time in that place where the Lord instilled in me the the ability to minister through music, hmm. um, which I, I see as a huge, huge gift, you know, um, just priceless gift. And I was blessed. Um, the The Lord drew me back to be able to do, to lead their music, actually, uh-huh. um, Twice now, yeah. So this will be this my will be fourth, fourth. pilgrimage coming up. Beautiful. Um, and yeah, all with Jeff Cavins and Father Mike. And and I because I am so so grateful for the opportunity, that original opportunity to go there and receive that gift from the Lord. I just want to bring everyone I can with me. Okay. So we're doing this Holy Land pilgrimage giveaway. Uh-huh. Uh, I was able to give away a, a pilgrimage last this past May um, to a woman from Ashland and her husband. Um, came as well, and they're just the coolest people, and I'm really, really excited to do it again. Okay, good. So if people want to participate in this giveaway, they go to your website? Yeah, yeah. So the information will be on my website. Um, There's a tab at the top. If you just click that, it says something about Israel. Yeah, (laughs) something about, yeah, the Holy Holy Land Pilgrimage Giveaway. Okay, so it's as easy as that. So And the pilgrimage is not next year, but in 2020, correct? Yes, yes, that's correct. So lots of time, but that doesn't mean people can dilly-dally. They should go to the website right now and find out find out how they could win uh, a trip to the Holy Land with Ali and Father Mike and Jeff Cavins. How cool is that, Ali? Yes, I'm so excited. Yeah, I would be too. That's all the time we have. We have to leave it there, but it's been so great meeting you, quote-unquote, meeting you over the phone and uh, <laughs> yeah. and, and, and listening well. to your music. Thank you so much, and uh, keep up the good work. Let me know when there's a new album, and we'll bring you back. Definitely. Thank you. Thank you so much. All right. You can learn more about Ali Aliyah at her website, which is ali-aliyah.com. But just be aware, Ali is one L, A-L-Y dash 
A-L-E-I-G-H-A, Aliyah. But you know what? I'm just going to put that link on our site, saltandlighttv.org slash radio, so you can find it easily. And when you go to Ali's website, that's where you can purchase her music, you can book her for your next event, and as we said, you can find also find out how you can win a trip to the Holy Land with her, Jeff Cavins, and Father Mike Schmitz. And if you happen to be in Oregon, in Nevada, in Idaho, or in California, look at her tour dates because she's probably coming very close to you. Here now is Ali Alia with Alabaster Walls from her album, The Labyrinth. listening to Ali Alia with Alabaster Walls from her album The Labyrinth. And that concludes this special edition of the Salt and Light Hour. Remember to visit our website saltandlighttv.org in order to find out everything you want about us and how to support our ministry. We can't do what we do without your support. Reach out to me via Facebook or Twitter. If you have any comments, feedbacks, or questions, thank you for listening. I'm Deacon Pedro. Travel, I picture 